0: From Michigan State University's Department of Theater, this is Syllable of Recorded Time.
1: Hamlet and Laertes, Edgar and Edmund, Macduff and Macbeth, Tybalt and Romeo, these Shakespearean characters all share the same stage direction. They fight.
0: Today, we aim to explore the intersection of violence and Shakespeare with our two amazing guests. Our first guest is David Leong. David is a professor emeritus and one of the 19 certified fight masters in the U.S. David's impact spans from teaching at Juilliard to choreographing fights for Hollywood, Broadway, and the West End. With over 40 years in the entertainment industry, David recently marked his 20th Broadway show featuring Daniel Craig and Macbeth. Beyond the stage, he coaches leaders in storytelling and teaches public speaking at the VCU School of Business, where he also serves as the Executive Master of Business Administration. An author and featured speaker at Broadway TEDx in 2019, David's book Real World Presentations is a staple for students. Alongside his wife, Patty DeBeck, He takes his expertise on the road, captivating cruise ship audiences with talks on Broadway, Hollywood, and the golden age of television.
1: We are also joined by Alexis Black. Alexis is a seasoned professional with over a decade of experience in acting and movement. Alexis served as the assistant fight director for Macbeth and Fool for Love with David Leong, and as the fight director for the world premiere of Rattlesnake Kate at the Denver Center of Performing Arts. Certified in various movement and acting techniques, Alexis is a passionate advocate for consent and inclusion practices in the performance world. She's not only certified to teach workshops on intimacy and consent for actors, but is also a trained movement specialist for creating safe and dynamic choreography and physical storytelling, including intimacy. As the author of Supporting Staged Intimacy, a practical guide for theater creatives, managers, and crew, Published by Rutledge, Alexis explores the crucial relationship between staged intimacy, intimacy direction, and the supportive roles involved throughout pre production, rehearsal, and performance. Alexis currently serves as an assistant professor of acting and movement at Michigan State University.
0: Hey, awesome. Today we have David and Alexis joining us. So we just want to say thank you for taking some time to meet with us and talk about Shakespeare
2: and violence.
3: My pleasure. I does not protest.
2: No, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for asking us. Nice to see you both again. And same thing with you, Alexis. I'm looking forward to your questions and see how this conversation goes.
4: Absolutely. To start off, our first question here is, most of Shakespeare's shows include some form of violence, and often in the script, it just has the stage direction, they fight. So how do you begin translating that into something that tells a physical story and entertains an audience?
3: I, I really think about, I mean, it takes, you take a, multiple things into account. I think a, a lot about the arc of the story. Where are they ending with their their objective in the arc of the scene and their tactics and their emotional life? And where do they seem to restart when we get past they fight? How much has changed between those moments that might determine what needs to happen in the fight to bridge that story gap. Also sometimes, not all the time, because sometimes a director will just be like, "Okay, see you later. We'll see you when you get back." <laughs> and they awkwardly back out of the room. Um but sometimes they do have an idea of what they want to happen and they'll I'll have that meeting with the director beforehand and and think about that. Also, I do think about spectacle and entertainment for the audience, too. So are there a few things in here that we can do to make this really exciting to watch in addition to moving the story forward? What are some cool things that could happen to draw the audience's eye and, and excite them? Um, So, yeah, it's a combination of what needs to happen in the arc of the story as a whole. What is the director thinking and uh, what are some some cool moves we can put in there, too?
2: I have like a five step sort of process. Number one, what's the director's concept? Now, if if anyone doesn't know what concept is, it's the director has a a certain view of the world. Uh, But let's say Romeo and Juliet, you could put the concept is to tell it um, uh, might be naturalistic. And it might be like, in the 1920s in New York City. All right. So, or or the director could say, I would like it sort of um, Renaissance 1575 in Verona, Italy, or you could do it modern. So that's for those of anyone that doesn't know what concept is. So what's the director's concept? It is uh, the story that the playwright tells. And it's a little tricky because, again, you're only given two words, they fight. And then the third thing is, I like to get together with the actors and find out what their view of the fight is. And also with the director, if possible, that third step always involves a conversation that I facilitate with the director and the actors. What do you think about this? Who wins, who loses, and all that? And why does it happen? The big question is, why does it happen? The fourth part is um, my ideas that I throw in, which sometimes, depending on who the personalities are, I might really let them know, all right, I'm taking all of your ideas, but here's some of mine. Sometimes I might leave myself out of it and I'll, I'll throw it in, but I won't let them know. It's, it's, you know, those are my ideas, depending again on the sensitivity of the personalities. And the last part is what the, what the set design looks like. So, you know, so it's number one, it's concept, two is story, three is actors and directors collaborating, four is my ideas and five is the set. Now, when you, in a Shakespeare play, you have some, you have, it's It's basically two words, they fight. So the, the summation of those five step process, we as facilitators are playwrights now, because we have to write the script, but that script is written based on those, that, that outline. So we write, we are more playwrights. Before we get up on a feet, we're playwrights. We have to write, we have to fill in the gap. And it's, that's unusual because it doesn't happen in any other kind of play. It doesn't happen in a, a musical comedy that's kind of laid out or a, or a contemporary drama. It's laid out, the action is kind of specified. In this one, you the the fight choreographer is a facilitator, which is basically writing a script based on those five things. In fact, it's the most... For me, it's the most creative part of the process, and it's also I love working on Shakespeare, and that I get to be a playwright. I don't like working on it because if they have if it's sword play, sword play is the most difficult form of fighting to do on stage to pull it off realistically. For two reasons, one is actors don't have the training; you're never given the time. And number three, we are now immersed in a world of seeing so much swordplay on film and TV, our expectations in the theater can never match what we see on film. So that's why nowadays, I went for seven years without choreographing a single sword fight in a Shakespeare play, because most directors like to avoid it now. They like to avoid putting swords in because of all the reasons I just said.
3: And I want to add on, really, in working with David, I really love, uh, and this is something I incorporate into my work as well after um, his mentorship and working with him so many times, is really keeping their, their need alive. So it's not just about them attacking each other. Each character has a different arc that they're going through. Are we starting with trying to avoid the other person and to escape? And the other person is seeking us out and hunting us, you know, or um, is there uh, I want to destroy you and and I, I want to emotionally destroy you and embarrass you, you know. So there's that really interesting part of really thinking about those characters' motivations and incorporating that into that they fight. And that's where those collaborations with the actors really help because they know their characters even better than we possibly could. And then we work together to write that um, that physical text, which is really, really fun to do.
2: And when Alexis and I and Brad also, who worked on, did Brad work on both productions or one, Alexis?
3: Just one of the Romeo and Juliet. We're speaking about Brad Wilkets, who also is a professor at, at, at Michigan State with me.
2: Again, we say concept, story, actors, directors, conversation, and then it gets to us. So when we, Brad and Alexis, heard, when, when we heard everything, we three then brainstormed. And you know, based on their ideas. Now, when we present it to them, uh, uh, you know, we're not saying, "Oh, this is my idea, my idea." We go, "Hey, you guys said this, and we'll do this, and all that sort of." So that's really fun. We love taking their ideas and making them happen, and making them look good and safe at the same time. That's the most fun. There are two parts of the process. People, you didn't ask me this question, but I'm going to ask me. I'm going to ask myself the question and answer it. The question is: What part of the whole process of choreographing fights, violence, David, do you enjoy? Well, the 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 most fun part is from the moment you get offered the contract up until the first rehearsal. Okay, totally
3: agree. Yes, and that it all goes production
2: <laughs> play
3: physical improvisation yeah. time.
2: The sec- then the second part of the process is is when all the the actors have come up with ideas and the director has and we know the concept and then I get to work with my team of people and we're putting it together. Those are the two most favorite parts of the process. and, And everything else is just real tedious work. I don't mean bad, it's just tedious. But the most fun and creative parts where your brain explodes are that from the time you get offered the job and uh, up until only until you go into first rehearsal. (laughs) And then it's when you get to work, when we get to go into the brainstorm session.
0: Yeah, I really love a lot of those approaches That being able to kind of become one of the playwrights, so to say, with that physical storytelling and seeking those objectives uh, through the actors and helping them kind of create that story together. I really love that collaboration. Um, The next question that we're kind of looking at here is, how is the fight direction for Shakespeare different? What needs to be done with the text to choreograph for Shakespeare successfully?
3: In some ways, it's the same, because like what we're talking about, it's all about this, those characters' needs. In some ways, the the stakes are really, really high, and, and you're using weapons that you might not use in other shows, so it's different in that way. But I often find that directors want to have a scene where there are multiple phrases or multiple sections of fighting that are interspliced with the Shakespearean text. So it's not necessarily text. They fight text. And that's really interesting because while there are shows, modern texts that people do have language in there, it's, it's more often that people are fighting. They're beyond words at that moment. And so there's language that leads up to the fight. They have the fight itself. And then Um, If there are survivors afterwards, they speak again, right? So we have this interspliced dialogue. That's just something that stuck out to me when I heard that question. You know, if it's the duel in Hamlet or, you know, in in Macbeth and Macduff, there is often fight little phrases, fight few lines, right? So we need to work to justify why those actors stop fighting and start talking in the middle of a fight. and that's a fun problem to have. So this could be outside forces. So, um, you know, David and I played one time with the idea of a distant barrage of gunfire might separate the actors because the characters because they think that um, they're being shot at or it might be another character, group of characters running through the space and, you know, trying to escape something else if it's a war or it could be a mutual injury that happens between, they both injure each other almost simultaneously, and so they need a moment to recover. Or it could be an emotional need, such as an indecision. I don't actually want to kill you. You're down on the ground, but maybe I don't, and I need a moment to wrestle with that internally. So I think that's something that I've found more often occurs in Shakespearean uh, plays than other plays, is that that inner splicing of the text and breaking up the fights.
2: When you study a play, you read you read it many many times. You listen to it, and Shakespeare has to be read out loud for it to you to make any sense of it. But I think it's you know people always say, well, what's your homework as an actor? Your homework is to read what everyone else says about you, and then. Decide whether you are that or not. In Shakespeare, the alter ego, the subconscious hadn't been invented then, yet. So everyone that says something in Shakespeare is speaking the truth, at least what they believe. Because in you know, with Freudian psychology, I can say one thing and really mean another. It didn't happen in Shakespeare's plays. You say what you mean, you mean what you say, and other people say the same thing. So so you could you know when I when I was first learning Romeo and Juliet or Macbeth, I go through and I pick out everything that other characters say about Macbeth. Everything that they all say about Lady Macbeth or, or Tybalt or Romeo or you know, whatever. Um, and, and so you kind of you know, you have to honor the text. You have to actually use some of that information in the way that they fight and in the story. So In that way, Shakespeare's plays are very rich, richer than contemporary plays, because they don't say that, and oftentimes people don't say what they mean, and they don't mean what they say in a contemporary play, so it can be confusing. But Shakespeare is rich. The the language is so rich, and it provides you so much. It's like a Bible. If you want to learn about a character, just go read the text, what other people say about Tybalt. Tybalt is the biggest character he i think he has 18 lines in the play most people don't know that though because they because he's talked about a lot and but he's a very very small part and it's because the shakespeare gave the him so much you know colorful language
3: i'd also want to add something david that's that's amazing yes something about what you said made me think about how many times These shows have been performed, and so something that it can be a trap in choreographing Shakespeare is that maybe you as a choreographer or as an actor have been in many or seen many, many productions. And so I think as a choreographer, it's really important to keep your own, not only your own unique voice, but keeping that connection, what David was talking about earlier, with the director and with the humans that you actually are working with in the space and their interpretation of these characters and letting yourself not get caught in what you've seen before like oh in phrase two there's always an injury to the leg you know or whatever not going out of your way to go against what the text says just to be different which david and i have dealt with before too where the director is like just wants to be different and that actually goes against what the story needs to be perhaps but uh, don't get caught in in what you've seen before.
2: Yeah. As an artist, Alexis knows this of me. If I've done it before, nine times out of 10, I'm going to say I don't want to do it even if it works. I've just done it before. Mm-hmm. Most, I will say this. Most people don't work that way. I, I've seen so many people. Uh, the, I've seen choreography by particular people. Same uh, Romeo and Juliet. And it, one Romeo and Juliet looks like another that they've done you know, um, my assistants sometimes get really frustrated with me because I said, nope, 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 done it before, done it before, what's new, you know, and and so it's, you know, I like that. I love that. I I consider that the more problems you present me, the more fun it is. You tell me that I have to fight seven people on a six-by-four square. Uh, I'm going to go, great, how do we do this? I don't know, but it's going to be fun to try to figure it out. Wow.
3: Yes, but you're still following the story at the same time. Yeah. You know, you're you're doing there's you know a thousand ways to tell a story. Uh, I think where it's problematic is where uh, choreographers tell a different story just so they're not doing the the same thing again. But you're finding unique ways to tell the uh, a good story that furthers the arc of the show, which is awesome.
2: And occasionally directors ask you to go away from that story altogether and you go, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. You're telling me to do this. That's not what the words say. That's not what the story is. And they say, no, we'll just do it. You know, it's. Well, whatever. That's a whole different thing.
4: (laughs) You were both involved with the recent Broadway production of Macbeth at the Longacre Theater. So what were some specific challenges that you had while working on that particular production?
3: I'm maybe going to take the easy way out on this question. Uh, We were given a lot of time in pre-production to build something in league with the special effects team that David and I were really proud of, that people were excited about. It really fit our aesthetic and seemed to be really appreciate it appreciated and and, and there generate excitement with the producer and, and the director and actors. And then just due to many different circumstances, we were told to build something very different in a much shorter timeframe that we ended up feeling might not have been as effective. So artistically, that was really challenging to have created something and then totally switch it to something else. I, we still had a lot of fun, you know, as choreographers rehashing something. But I felt that that, that was really hard for me to like have that memory of like the golden, the golden fight that we, that could have been, you know, that was uh, a specific challenge that, that I experienced.
2: Yeah. A lot of challenges, Uh, limited time. I think the director and the leading actor, Daniel Craig, wanted to do something that neither one had done before or something that no one had ever seen before and what i learned i'll just say this what i learned when my my mentor was um patrick crane he was one of errol flynn's stunt doubles and choreographers and so and he choreographed olivier and many many famous people and he told me one of the first things you have to do as uh whenever you're creating a piece of theater is you have to establish the I, I you have to establish the world of the play within the first couple of minutes, and that's and you have to it has to make logical sense to them even if it's something really different. I think this concept was so far out that maybe I think a lot of audience members couldn't follow it and it didn't make any sense to them. So I think it was hard. It was a hard um, think. They tried to do something that was really hard to do. Completely
3: agree. And then, you know, just thinking about the timeliness of the world we were in at that time. And thankfully, we're, we're, it seems we're moving away from, but there were some uh, COVID-19 challenges. There were a lot of replacements, not replacements, but like understudies that were going in um, people that were out due to being sick. So there was a lot of, um, adjusting things to make sure that they fit for everybody and also there was a um a young a younger actor a a child that was in one of the the fights and so there's a lot of care taken in that and that wasn't a bad challenge it just was different i haven't worked with many um people under how old was he like 12 if that Mm
2: Um which are oh, you talking about? Um which young one are you talking about?
3: Young Seward.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah, he probably was young. That's right. I forgot. Yeah. He was yeah, really was... a young seward. <laughs> so yeah. So that yeah, was a little yeah.
3: challenging because there was maybe, a lot maybe. of trepidation in making sure that we were being extra, extra, extra careful. Um so yeah, yeah. It, it it was really, really cool. And and another challenge that was a fun challenge was interacting with the special effects team and all there was a lot of blood a lot of blood mm-hmm. there were um you know gear that made it so it looked like we were stabbing into people's bodies um there was uh you know spurting of things there was fog and um loud really loud sounds and um so th- there was a lot of uh of Oh, like a magnet, a, a knife magnet that had to stick on on a pad, on a magnet pad on someone's back that was <laughs> problematic. But um, there's just like a lot of, uh, of special effects that were really that that team, they're so positive and fun. And um, that was a that was like a challenge that actually really was exciting for David and I to to work with them on.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now it's interesting to hear about all the challenges and different things that you come up against when working on a show. But uh, I think we kind of touched on this next question a little bit, and kind of ties into here. But especially with the uh, the five steps that you were talking about, David, with this. Uh, but how does time period, setting, and design of a play or musical affect planning for a fight? And in what ways do you work to incorporate design elements into your fights?
2: Well, it's everything because it's part of the it's part of the given circumstances. So. I've done 10 Hamlets um, in, in my life, and uh, they're all all over America, two of them um, on Broadway. And each one was, I, I'm, I'm very proud to say, each one was dramatically different. And when the director said, we're going to do this as a modern-day Hamlet, I said, well, it needs to be a foil. I mean, it needs to be a modern-day fencing match. And I wanted to do it with the electric, uh, you know, with the all the electric um, um, equipment, the jackets and the video replay and the them, you know, hooked up to the wires and all that sort of thing. Uh, and the director said, great. I remember the day I pitched it to him. I had this idea and I showed him you know, actually video of a, of a, you know, of a fencing match with all the sound and fury behind it and all the electronic the buzzers going in the video replay, kind of nervous that maybe he wasn't going to buy it. But I, I was in and out of there in like less than 10 minutes. He said, sounds great. So we had a fabulous time working on this production and, and it worked pretty well. And we also had really great people to work with. Oh, uh, I did a Hamlet that was put in Germany in the 1940s and um it involved schläger dueling schläger dueling was there were there were fencing clubs in germany and schläger dueling was the the sword is held like at, at at you know basically chest high and face high and you it's all with the wrist and the sword has to stay in front and the goal was to scar each other's face you know and and so um these were fencing clubs and so, you know, and the only protection they had was they had an eye patch with these kind of like like a screen over it to make sure you you know you protect the eyes. So my my assistant and I worked very hard on this, and uh, it was with Steve Lang. Steve Lang plays um he's he's a uh, he, he's in one of the leads in Avatar. He's the um, I don't know I can't remember the name of character, um, but he's not one of the weird you know the blue characters he's one anyway steve um was fabulous they went for the ride and it was so fabulous it's it was just um so it basically long story short a time period is everything it allows you and it's pretty much tells you okay here's here's the range of what you can do from here to here
3: i'm going to speak to a specific instance on a show that that uh, david and i worked together on with a design element was this extremely long, high windows were on the one side of the set. And David uh, worked with and I assisted working with Scenic to have one of those a uh, really long red curtain be torn down and thrown over Tybalt in the Tybalt-Mercutio fight. And so it had to be a material that wasn't too heavy, wasn't slippery for him to... St- be um wasn't dusty. You know, there's so many things to think about because we're throwing something on an actor's face in the middle of a fight. And how does it rip down in a way that's safe? How do they reattach it? Like all these things. And that was a really, because it was this big red piece of fabric that floated down and just like landed on Tybalt in that moment. It was such a, a cool visual and totally fit for Mercutio being a trickster and um something embarrassing for Tybaltz that everyone was laughing at, the other characters were laughing at. So I was really really um excited to be a part of that with David. Um sometimes we've had to work design elements out of a fight. <laughs> so we planned for like there was a um a Peter Pan that we worked on um where the pirate ship to what they had Given us as far as the design, we thought that it was a certain incline on the steps and that it would be safe for the actors to work on. But then when we got to the actual set, it was really small steps and really unsafe. And so we ended up having to restage a lot of that. So there are time where design needs to be uh, (laughs) uh, unincorporated from a fight. Um, But to to speak to the musical specifically, I actually love working on fights and musicals. You get to sit down with a dance. And choreographer and go, what's yours? What's mine? <laughs> like, and sometimes it's really fun when it's, fun when it's like these four counts are mine and then this eight counts yours and that goes back to me. And, um, you know, worked on a West Side Story a while back where we, the dance choreographer and the director and I collaborated on the prologue. And that was one of the most fun things that I've I've done. Because I just love, and I know, David, you feel the same way and you've talked about it. The more people to collaborate with, the better. Like, I hate being the the like person in the room that's like telling everyone what to do and dictating it like it's so much better to you come in with ideas but it's like you you get to that's what theater is is collaboration and so musicals are fun because they have that structure of of the music which gives you some of the story that you need to tell in what's happening in the music it's also Shakespearean in a way so I just I love doing that
2: it doesn't matter how many challenges you have it doesn't matter how many financial limitations you might have, it all depends on the people you're working with. We've had some fabulous experiences, like like a Fool for Love <clears throat> Alexis that we did uh, yeah. on Broadway, you know, with Daniel and the director. Um
3: amazing Sam Rockwell
2: and Sam Rockwell, you know, they're just so much fun to work with. And they're, they're
3: wonderful.
2: You know, people. In the theater, everything is yes and, but when you hit a roadblock like our the last big show we worked on, which was no, 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 no. Everything, it was, the answer was no to pretty much everything. No, 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 no. That's, that's hard. So it's all about, you know, it's all about the people, the people in the process. That's, that's, that's what makes a show work or not work.
3: Absolutely.
4: Some shows call for some pretty extreme forms of violence to be shown on stage. Mm Gloucester's eyes being gouged out in King Lear All of the very bloody violence that happens in Titus Andronicus, uh, including the 14 killings, six dismemberments, sexual assault, a live burial, and a case of cannibalism. And, of course, other shows that have suicide, assassinations, and more. So how do you approach these moments in a way that honors the material but doesn't push away audiences?
2: I've done Titus Andronicus, did it with Julie Taymor, and had a blast. We went into workshop for a week. We were we were, we workshop for five days, about about five hours a day. And it was, it was so much fun because it was brainstorming again. It was coming up with ideas. It was just a very creative session where there were four of us. I had an assistant, and Julie Taymor had her assistant on the show. There were four of us in a were in a room filled with all kinds of toys for a week, and we just played with ideas. How do we kill them? How do we do this? <clears throat> you know, do we use the candelabra? Do we? And we decided to um, shove a soup spoon down a person's throat. to to, to kill him. And, you know, it was another person who was like taking the candles off of a candelabra. And, you know, you take the candle off and there's all those points and then turning the candelabra around. So it was so much fun to think about all those ways that you can kill someone. There's only three ways you can alienate an audience. Number one is if the style of the violence is so different from what the conventions of the play. In other words, if the fight is at the end, and suddenly you go into slow motion, but you've never seen slow motion and you don't know why, then, then it's like, that doesn't work. That's one reason. If there's a style, number two, this is not in order. Number two is if the audience fears that the actor could be could get hurt that way because of that. So that's the other one. And then I wrote a note here. If it's too real, you fear for the actor's safety. But I, I think it's it's, as long as it's in line with the, conventions of the play and the story, I don't think you can turn off an audience because what happens is within a good production of Shakespeare, the audience accepts the conventions and they go along for the ride. So they'll go with whatever you want. I've done one play where I was pulling out, you know, person was slashed in the wrist and pulled out red streamers slashed across the throat was pulled out, you know, red streamers from the, th- you know, that, I've done that. I've done it in so many different ways. So the audience goes along with it. As long as we understand early on that that, that kind of thing is possible. It's only if they're afraid someone's going to get hurt or if something so is jar- jarring, it alienates the audience and says, where'd that come from? Uh, I think it's hard to, it's hard to a- alienate them if you're doing your job.
3: I love that. Um, when you were saying you were you and Julia Tamer were brainstorming inter- interesting ways to kill someone, it really made made me think about dreading if there's a day that the FBI wants to search my my search history because of what you have to search as a yeah. state choreographer. I'm like, ooh. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I I agree with everything David said. I also want to talk what what he was referencing with the streamers is something that I've used in in instances where. The director is looking for something less gory or less in your face. I like to lean into the audience imagination in those in those moments. So whether it's stylized, like red streamers gives us a very clear image, but it isn't actually blood, right, or fake blood. Um, or maybe I move into a soundscape. I know that David loves those too. Like someone might get dragged into the wings, and then we hear a complex story of screams and impact sounds and the imagination of the audience might actually be worse than what what we could actually stage so leaning into that is fun or you might show the audience something gross but it's not the actual act itself so that made me think about the eye gouge in king lear if the gouger is actually blocking the face from the audience but then the eye, the fake eye is thrown on the floor and stepped on Like that is gross, right? (laughs) They're both having a physical reaction to that. That's super gross. But we're not actually having to watch the eye gouge. And then it's, it's a different kind of reaction that doesn't necessarily alienate them. It kind of gets them in on the Halloween gore of that, I guess. It's really important to think about your audience and what the director's concept is. Maybe the concept of the director is, I want to make the audience feel really uncomfortable right that might in this moment right or let's stylize this or let's have this you know be left to their imagination so i think there's just lots of ways that you can work on these moments to fulfill the needs of that specific production
2: i think i once counted the different ways that i've killed people and i'm i'm up to like 33 different ways that i've killed people on on
3: st- stage, <laughs> on stage. <laughs> Very important um, you say that.
2: I, I literally have it written down somewhere. It's actually fun thinking of ways that you can do it. So you want you got to think of the idea first, and then you got to think about how do I pull that off? How do I pull it off so the audience can still still suspend their disbelief and believe that in this in the story that person is really being electrocuted? Or I've I've shot people with arrows. You know, I've drowned kids, I've poked their eyes out with the red hot poker, I've, I've poisoned people and every kind of poison you could possibly imagine. I have, I have a book on poisons, uh, you know, on the various potions, what they do, and then how it affects the body. And it's actually, a, it's a great book. It's a book that mystery writers use for research for so so they know how poison affects people. And a, it was all it was a good resource, because there's so many ways that people are poisoned.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's awesome the points that you're kind of like I'm touching on there, especially with setting the conventions, and then uh, making sure that the audience can come along with you with that journey, so that you're not pushing them away, but keeping them involved in the in the action. I think that's a really great convention to use
4: and yeah. using their own imaginations yeah. as opposed to showing them outright. Thank you so much, uh, both of you, for all of your insight. I know for for me, like this was definitely like a masterclass for me in terms of of fight choreography, especially in Shakespeare. We just wanted to end off with just a final question. Um, of what is your favorite moment in Shakespeare? It doesn't necessarily have to be a violent moment. Um, it can be, it can be a line, it can be anything you would like it to be.
3: So mine has been, I was in a production of Romeo and Juliet and I was sitting watching a rehearsal and the actor playing the friar is an amazing actor named John Hosh. He um, was the uh, the voice and worked the face and the hands of King Kong and King Kong on Broadway. I think just the way that he said it made me actually hear Shakespeare's words differently in this one moment where the friar romeo is saying i've killed tybalt i i need i don't know what to do um and and he's been banished and he's like i can't have this i can't stay here with juliet i you know my life is over and the friar is saying like you've just been banished you haven't been you're not being killed like and he says basically a pack of blessings lies upon your back and yet And I'm paraphrasing here, you know, you're you're crying out injustice, you're not, you're not seeing that. And he says the specific line: take heed, take heed for such die miserable. And it really made me go, how much of your life do you spend like not noticing the the joy and the positivity, even in moments of hardship, what blessings you still have in your life? And his words, you know, Shakespeare's words are just so timeless. That is something that really stuck with me throughout throughout my life.
2: do I have I don't have a favorite moment? Uh, if i if I were looking if I were look at that, at my resume right now, I could probably come up with them. But I'll just say there's usually for the for the principal characters, Romeo, Juliet, Hamlet, Edgar, one a protagonist is wronged a lot, a lot, and they're blind to it when Edgar is, is, is wronged and he doesn't realize it, when Hamlet is wronged, and, or, you know, when you have a protagonist and they're wrong over and over again and you see them spiraling down, and then the moment that they realize that that, oh, oh, oh my God, and they realize that it's they've been wrong in the way that they perceive the world, and that one moment, that's usually for me, that's, those are my f- favorite moments in a play. When I see that character make, everything comes, you see them falling, 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 and then suddenly, that one moment happens when you go, you know, like and, you, and they sit, and you realize that they understand now what's happened to them. And that's, that happens, usually, the principal protagonists have one moment in a play. That's their turnabout. you know, that's, that's, that's their climactic moment. That's their turnabout. Um, and there's that one, whatever that is, and every play has that, That's that's it. Because I've seen it over and over and over again. And sometimes it's done really well, and it's like, oh, my God, that's incredible. And then other times, like, oh, you just let that thing slide right by. Yeah, I love
0: that kind of like ending on that idea of epiphany where they're just circling and then jumps right up so uh we just want to say thank you so much for jumping in on this with us and having this discussion it's definitely been insightful as kim has said and so we're so appreciative of you taking the time out and helping us with this
2: enjoyed it a lot thank you guys kim jake thank you alexis been a pleasure working with you and uh, we have to find a way to make it happen again
3: Yes, we will. Thank you both so much and for having us and, and taking this time with us. And we look forward to seeing your work on the stage soon.
0: Thank you for listening to Syllable of Recorded Time. For more information about this program and other exciting events, please visit Michigan State University's Department of Theater at theater.msu.edu.